I love games. Anybody else love games? I love games. I do. I love games. Um, I love board games. Um, and if you didn't know, my favorite is Monopoly. I love Monopoly. All right. Uh, I love Monopoly because I always win. I'm not joking. I did lose the last time to my family. They don't like to play Monopoly with me because I have my own little song for Monopoly. Uh, it goes a little something like this. Come on down to John's Hotels. Come on down to John's Hotels. And, uh, but I love Monopoly, and my family will not play it with me any longer because I'm pretty obnoxious when I play Monopoly. Um, but there's always a great purpose and a point behind it. And I love to go through it, and you've got all the pieces. You've got to have, of course, you've got to have your dice, and you've got to have your tokens. And, and I thought this was pretty neat. This isn't my board, but uh, they now have a T-Rex as a piece. I thought that's pretty cool. Uh, I usually like to get the car, all right? Uh, but I don't usually get what I want. I end up usually with a thimble. Who wants to play with a thimble? <laughs> Or a top hat. But you got your community chest, you got your chance, you've got your money, you've got your properties. And then when I play the game, I have a strategy. I don't just play willy nilly, I have a strategy to how I play the game. In fact, uh, I think my family's finally learned my strategy, and so they do everything they can to make sure that I don't get it. And one of the first things I try to do is I try to get three properties of the same kind, or even the two little ones at times. I try to get three properties because I, as soon as I get them, I'm immediately going to start putting houses and hotels on there. I am going to build as fast as I can. I will go broke, put houses and hotels on there. I will mortgage everything that I've got. I will beg, plead, barter, whatever I got to do. But I will do that because I know all it takes is just one time. Now, I have three properties that are my absolute favorite. And here's the thing. I can tell you after you roll the dice where your, where your piece is going to land. That's how obsessed I am with Monopoly. But I love St. Charles States in Virginia. Now, y'all say, well, those are the cheap places. They're not on the first row, but they're on the second row. If I can't get them, I want the next set that's got Tennessee and New York and St. James. I want that set. I love that row because everybody is thinking they're going to hit free parking, and usually they hit my hotels. And uh, so I love to set up camp there. They're real cheap to put up hotels. But imagine if I'm playing this game, and all of a sudden I go to the box, and something's missing. I look. There's no houses. There's no hotels. I'm missing those pieces to this game. All of a sudden, my whole strategy goes out the window because guess what? I'm not going to win with $12 and $14 properties when you land on me. It's not going to happen. My strategy is ruined. I can't win the game that way. In fact, you can hit me twice on your rolls and still make it around to go and collect $200, and it ruins the game. If the pieces are missing... The game no longer matters. It no longer makes sense. In fact, my strategy goes out the window. You say, well, why are you saying that? Because I want you to understand that God has a strategy in the church. And when any of his pieces are missing to do the work of the ministry, his strategy is ruined. You realize that God wants every last one of you in here as a part of the ministry. There's not one of you in here. He doesn't look at you and say, well, that one's not as talented as so-and-so, or that one's not what I know. No, God wants, imagine this, everybody in the church stepping up and saying, I'll do my part. God, where do you need me, and what would you have me to do? Every piece is important to the strategy the Father has 
for what he has us to do. Are you the missing piece? That's the question I want you to ask all morning. Are you the missing piece? Well, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 4, and verse 1 is where we're going to start. But today we're going to look at three understandings we must have in ministry. Three understandings that we must have in ministry in order for it to function and be all that God desires for it to be. 1 Corinthians 4.1, we're going to look at the first one, and that is understanding our position. We need to understand our position. Look with me in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1. It says this, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Look at that, that very first phrase. He says, let, us so, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ. Now, Paul is speaking about himself. He's speaking about ministers. He's actually talking about all people, I believe, when he talks about we ought to be servants. Now, it's interesting because there are a multitude of words that are used in Scripture for the word servants. There's the word doulos, which means slave. There's the word diakonos, which means servant. There's the word oikites, which means household slave. And he could have used any of those words because typically those are the words that Paul uses when he talks about being a servant. He'll usually use one of the common words, but in this one he uses the Greek word huperates. Hooperates. And what that means, hooper means under and rates means rowing. So you've got to understand what he's talking about here is he's talking about one of those big, massive ships that are out there. And they have three sets or three levels of rowers. Imagine that. Three levels of rowers. You've got the guys on the bottom that have the smaller oars. The guy up on the next level has longer oars because they've got to reach out above the, next, the lower level. And then the third row, big oars that go even past the middle row. So you've got 100 men on each level. So there are about 300 men that are rowing to pull this big old ship. And he says, we are the hooperets. We're the third row. We're the galley slaves. We're the lowest of the low, is what Paul is saying here. We're, we're amongst others all doing the same thing to get to the same place. You realize that. Every one of us has an important role. The problem is, is there are too many people in the church today that all want to be the captain of the ship. Everybody wants to be the captain. Can I tell you something? As the captain, it's a headache. Try working with 16 young men, trying to get them to not play around and do the skit. I looked at Brandon when I was up there, and I said, man, I'm praying for you. <laughs> but you think about it. The under rowers. The galley slaves. Paul says that's who we are. We're the guys at the very bottom. Now, a lot of people would look at that and say, well, I don't want to consider myself to be at the very bottom. Can I just tell you something? I love the way Paul would always express himself. But one of my favorite lines, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. God, you can count me. I'm at the bottom. I'm the lowest of the low. If Paul, the greatest missionary we've ever known, who wrote half of the New Testament, could say, Lord, I'm a galley slave. Why would we ever say that we're not? Why would we ever think we're better than that? One of the things that I've tried to do as a pastor, and I try to keep to this, is I will never ask you to do something I'm unwilling to do myself. And that's an honest truth. I'm not going to ask you to take out garbage if I'm unwilling to carry a garbage bag. 
I don't mind doing those things. Why? Because everybody has to do their part. Everybody has to do what God has called them to do. And we are those galley slaves. We have to understand our position. Paul understood he was in total obscurity. But I love this because in 1 Corinthians 3, just a page over, verses 5 to 7, he says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. And it's not about being able to walk up and say, I did that. I did that. No, because what it's, it's not about me. It's not about me. I'm a small part of God's big team. I'm here to do what God has called me to do. It's not about me. I just want to do my part so that God gets the glory. Paul would later on say something similar to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 and 18, when he says this. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I've been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then that when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel? I love it. He says, man, I I do this. He said, if I preach it, I have nothing to boast of. Can, Can I explain something to you? Yes, I may be a pastor, but I have absolutely nothing to boast of. It is not me that chose to go into ministry. It was something that God called me into. God is the one that gives me the the wisdom and the knowledge and the studying. God is the one that does all of it. I am just a vessel for God to use. I understand my place that I am nothing more than a vessel to be ready to, Lord, whatever you need, put me in. Whatever you want, tell me what you want me to do. And that's the way we're called to be. Nothing any more special because God is the one who gets the credit if anything happens. We saw three baptized this morning. You know who gets the credit for that? God. Now, others may have had a small part in that. And that part is important that they played. But God gets the credit. God gets the honor from that. These men lived in total obscurity. But I love it. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus tells a a parable that a lot of people don't like, but it is truth. In Luke 17, verses 7 to 10, he says this. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he think that servant... Because he did the things that were commanded him, I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done what was our duty to do. You understand what he's saying there is? He's saying if you're doing it to be thanked for what you've done, you've done it for the wrong reason. That's the truth. Now, we always, trust me, we always want to be thankful for those of you that serve. To me, one of my favorite ministries in the church and the people that handle it is nursery. It really is. I mean, here's the thing. My wife and I did it before we even had kids at a church we were going to. We we helped out in nursery. Why? Because we know it is a vital and important ministry within the church so that parents can be a part of church and not be distracted with their kids. Now, if you bring your kids in here, that's just fine. They will not distract me. They won't. 
So I love it when parents bring their kids in here. I don't ever want you to think you can't bring them in here. But I also want you to know some of you are like, you're like me. You're like, well, I need some peace and quiet. If somebody's preaching, I got to listen. So I need, so I'll take my kids and I need some help with that. And that's just fine as well. But what I want you to see is we don't need to be doing anything to be thanked. Our goal when we do it is not for us to get an attaboy or a pat on the back or anything like that. All I care for one day is one day when I stand before God, all I want to hear out of his mouth is, well done, thy good and faithful servant. He doesn't have to go into any explanation for that. All all I want to hear are those words. Man, I love it because James, the half-brother of Jesus, in James chapter 1 and verse 1, when he calls himself there and Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, they both said, we are bond slaves. Listen to that. James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now, here's the thing. You would think that when they started their letters, they'd be like, hey, I'm the half-brother of Jesus, so my gospel or my book means a little bit more than Paul's writings. Right? But they don't throw it out there. They say, we're the bondservants. Now, it's interesting because before Jesus had died, they didn't follow him. It wasn't until after his resurrection that they began to be followers of Christ. And James becomes the head of the church of Jerusalem. But yet he still calls himself a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know why? Because Jesus in Matthew 20 and verse 28. Jesus made the statement. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Imagine that. The, the creator, the master, the Lord. The Savior, I didn't come to be served but to serve. If our example is Jesus Christ and the one we follow is Jesus Christ and we're supposed to imitate Jesus Christ, then it ought to be in service the way he served. Can I tell you something? The problem today in church is we have a consumerism mentality. We go church shopping now. We go church shopping to find the church that we think is best for us. No, what we're doing is we're going in there with our mindsets already made up. We know what we want. We want a particular kind of music. We want a particular kind of message. We want them to have it within a certain amount of time. And if it doesn't fit within the mold of what we want, we check it off the list and we go on to the next one. We have a consumer mentality. And the problem is, is oftentimes consumers will come into the church and they'll get connected and they'll sit down on the pews, but they'll never be a part of the team. They'll never want to serve. They'll never want to get involved. God wants you to be involved. Every one of you, if you're a Christian, you have a gift that God has given to you and you are required, get that, required by God to use that gift. And if you don't, Woe be unto you because you'll stand before God one day and it won't be all cheers and giggles and laughter. What will you have to give to the master? We need to know our position. Number two, we need to understand our part. If you want to look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We must know our part. There are many problems that arise if we don't understand our part. And so we're going to look at those different problems that arise. The first one is envy. Look with me in verses 14 to 16. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Now, we think that's kind of a silly illustration, right? The foot looking up and saying, you know what, if I'm not a hand, 
I don't want to be walked on all day. I want to be able to wave at people, shake hands with people. Or the ear say, well, you know what? I, I, I think I would rather be an I. I would like to, can I explain something to you? You don't get to choose your spiritual gift. You don't get to choose what God has given to you. What you get to choose is to use what God has given to you. Can I tell you something? There's no need to be envious of anybody else. I hear people say all the time, well, if I could just sing like so-and-so. Well, God didn't give you that voice for a reason. Oh, well, if I could just teach like so-and-so. Well, God didn't give you the ability to teach for a reason. Because could you imagine? You ready for this? Imagine if every one of you in here could sing and could sing and have the most beautiful voice in the world and everybody have that gift, where would the church be? Sunday morning would just be singing. Right? Imagine if everybody said, well, brother, I really don't like babies. And so I'm not going to watch the nursery. Imagine if everybody did that. We wouldn't have preschool or nursery. Imagine if somebody said, well, you know what? I don't feel like the rest of us all just said, well, you know, I don't really have the gift of teaching. And I don't want to teach. I want to preach. And so because I want to preach, I'm not going to teach. And I'm not going to do, I'm not going to use my gift because I want that gift. Can I tell you something? You don't get to choose what your gift is. You just merely have to accept what God has given to you and then use it as God would have you to use it. Man, there's no need in being envious because can I tell you something? Every gift in the church is important. We need them all. All of them. Some of the most incredible gifts that are missing in the church today are hospitality. Hospitality is so essential We've gotten to a point where we don't fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't invite them over to our homes. But the Bible says there's the gift of hospitality. And that's where there are great bonds that are formed. The gift of mercy is essential. Why? Because it's that person that can go there and weep with you in the midst of your greatest need. There's intercession. That's an important gift. The one that you know you can go to. They're going to pray for you. They're not going to forget you. You know they're going to ask about the prayers. They're going to be there for you as they pray. Every gift is essential the problem today is everybody wants what they call the showy gifts can I just explain something to you what I do up here is no more important than what's done up in the nursery it's not because without them I couldn't do what I do up here without everybody serving without those doing the music Everything would be completely different, but everybody is important to the family of God. Everybody is important to this church right here. Essential and important. There's no need to be envious. Another problem is uselessness. Look at me in verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if it were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. Every time I read that scripture, I just laugh. You say, why do you laugh? Because here's what I picture us as. We're not humans, we're just eyeballs. Now imagine that. There's two ways an eyeball can move. It's either going to roll. Could you imagine just an eyeball just rolling down the room? Or, or it just bounces. Could you imagine if you looked over and you said, man, that's a good looking eye. Right? He's, imagine if everybody were a foot. Right? Imagine if everybody were a foot. That's like my least favorite thing. 
All right? They're smelly. They're stinky. Imagine if everybody were a foot. We would look different. But God has put every body part to make it essential to the body so that it functions properly. Aren't we thankful that we have all of these? If we don't have, if we're missing a body part, what is that called? We're called handicapped. Right? Can I tell you that many of you have handicapped the church? Many of you, because you don't serve, because you won't use your gifts, you have handicapped the church. We are missing limbs. We are missing pieces. And we are missing what God has called us to be. Because if we all had the same function and we all had the same gift and we all did the same thing, church would not be church. There's also pride. Look at verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Man, if you ever hear somebody say, well, your gift's not essential. (laughs) That's not true. You don't listen to them. Every gift is essential. Every gift is important. Every gift brings glory and honor to God, and that's its purpose. If we ever become prideful and think that we're better than anybody else, that's wrong too. We're no better than anybody in the church. It kills me sometimes when you walk around church and you see people like this with their head held up high like like they don't stink too. Right? Like they think they're better or they walk right by you. I ain't speaking to that guy. I ain't speaking to that girl. Why? Pride. We don't need that. Pride will destroy what God is trying to do and we don't need to walk around like that. Nobody is better than anybody else in the church. We need each other. You know, I used to play football when I was in high school. Football is my favorite sport. It is. I love to watch it. I love to play it. I'm a little too old to play it now, so I have to play tag or flag. You ain't tackling me. I get up with a broke hip or something. But I loved football. I did. Now, I didn't start until my junior year in high school, so I was a bit behind compared to the other guys. I wasn't quite as fast as some of the other guys, but man, I had good hands. I could catch anything thrown my way. And so I loved to play football. But because I was so behind and I wasn't fast like a lot of those other guys out there, I didn't play much. I didn't play much at all. In fact, I rode the bench pretty much, and I might get in two to three plays a game if I were lucky. I played wide receiver and defensive back. Now, I look like I'd play O-line right now, but I did. I played wide receiver and I played defensive back. And, uh, and so I did this, man. When my coach, my coach would walk up and down the sidelines. And let me just tell you something. I wasn't one of those guys that was sitting over in a chair watching the game from the bench. I was the guy that if the coach was at the 40, I was at the 39 and a half standing there like this looking at him. Oh, he moves down to the 50? I'm 49 and a half. And I'm looking at him. He's sitting there, and he's getting ready to put somebody in. He turns around, and he goes, Ferguson. Uh, no, hey, come here, Scott, you, you're in. And I'm, you're going to look over me. You're going to finally pick me one of these days. You're going to tell me to go in. That's what I did. I was standing there because I was ready to go anytime he wanted me. If he'd have said, Ferguson, get in there, I'd have been like, where? <laughs> Offense, defense, what? You know, I was just jazzing, ready to get in the game because I wanted to play. Could you imagine if 650 people from Hillcrest Baptist Church showed up and said, God, I'm ready to go in. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Could you imagine what God could do with that kind of team? 
He'll change this church and he'll change this community when we sign up, we line up, and we say, I am here to serve. We need every gift. We need every body. We need to understand every part is essential for the kingdom of God to grow. We need you. We need you. Lastly, we need to understand our power. Same chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 6. Listen to this. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God, get this, who works all in all. God works in and through you. You say, brother, I I don't know. I don't know what my gift is. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. We'll help you figure that out. I promise you, we won't let you down. We will help you figure it out. We will find you a place to serve. And I promise you, it will be according to your passion and your gift. And we will sign you up. The problem is a lot of times we do, we, we have that mentality. You ever seen that kid that you go to the basketball court and you start playing basketball and uh, he gets mad? You ever seen that? And this is the way a lot of people treat church. They get mad. I'm going to take my ball and go home. You can't play without my ball. Right? And then they just walk on off. They walk on off. Many people treat church like that. I'm going to take my ball and go elsewhere. And you can't do it without me. Can I tell you something? If we ever have that mindset, God would rather do it without you than with you. Because here's the truth of the matter. The power is the one who gives you the power. It's not you. The gift is the one that God gives you. It's not yours. I know the parable of the talents is about something else. But I do think we can take a little bit of illustration from that. Where the guy went and buried his. The guy was given five. One was given two. And one was given one. And the guy with the one went and buried it. The guy with five and two went out and invested it. When the lip master came back, the guy with five was able to give him ten. The guy with two was able to give him four. The guy with one went and dug his up and brought it back to the master. And he said something like this. Here's what you gave me. I want to return it. I knew you were an astute man. And I just want to give you back. Because I knew that you planted where you had not sown. And you reaped where you had not planted. And I just want to give you back what is yours. And the master looked at him and said, take that away from him. And give it to the one who has ten. Because this guy, by his own words, has condemned himself. Every one of us has a gift. And many of us will take and bury that gift because it's not what we want. Or it may not, we may think of it as being less than. And I want you to understand your gift is not less than, it's still needed. I love Moses because many of us make excuses like Moses in the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 4, Moses says it like this, and many of us will do the same. And Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since. You've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf? The seeing or the blind have not I the Lord. Now therefore go and I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. Many of us are like Moses. 
God, I can't do anything. I can't speak. I can't serve. I can't do this. I can't do that. And God's going, I've given you the ability. I'll work it through you. I'm the power behind you. Just do it. Maybe y'all need to think about that Nike slogan. Just do it. God, whatever you want. You may not have much. But in chapter 4, verse 2 of Exodus, it says, So the Lord said to him, What's that in your hand? He said, A rod. Isn't it amazing? God will use what you got in your hands. God will use what you have if you're willing to let him have it. We have got to understand that we have got to be faithful to God's mission. I love this story. It's found in John Ortberg's book entitled, When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box. And he says this. He says, Ned Coletti is the general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. He's in the talent business, spotting talent that can make it to the big leagues or the show is his job. He spent his whole adult life looking for talent. Every year, Coletti goes to the Dominican Republic to scout young players. Most of them, he says, have one parent. Most have never met their earthly father. And most haven't been educated past the fifth grade. Last year, he saw one player in particular who had great tools but was timid because he was afraid he might fail. Ned pulled him aside and explained that failure is a part of baseball, that the great Roberto Clemente, Barry Bonds, and Roger Clemens fail. He also explained that God had blessed him with a special talent that he was meant solely for him. That six-foot, two-inch, 210-pound gifted athlete looked at Ned with tears in his eyes and would not let go of his hand when Ned shook it as if he was ready to leave. Imagine that you're a 15-year-old kid in the Dominican Republic. You've never seen your father. You have no education, no money, no prospects, and you're destined for poverty. Then one day, a major league scout comes along and says to you, follow me, and I'll make you a professional baseball player. Would you need a long time to make a decision? Likewise, Jesus came along and called his disciples. They knew they weren't major league material. None of us are. Generally in their day, if someone was going to get to be a follower of a rabbi, it happened much earlier. Rabbis never recruited. Rabbis took applications. Except this one. He came to fishermen and tax collectors and said, I believe in you. What I know, I'll teach you. What I do, you can do. No wonder they left their nets. Jesus sent his followers out to do what he did. And that's what he's calling you to do. He invites you to go on a mission to come up to the show to play the real game. You are the salt of the earth. He can make your life a blessing. You may feel like you're not sure you believe enough in Jesus. That's okay. He believes in you. You've been called up. You've been asked to serve. We have tables out there to give you an opportunity to serve. There's so many different ways you can serve in this church. So many different ways you can use the gifts that God has given to you. What will you do with them? Will you bury it? Will you hide it? Or will you use it? It's up to you. Do you understand your position, your part, and your power? That's the question this morning. You say, well, what does this have to do with the mission of the church? Well, we have two goals out of this. There are two goals, two things that we hope to see. The first goal is everyone involved. Everybody. Coming up, sign me up. Put me in. I'm ready to play. I'm ready to serve. Where would you have me? Here's the thing. If you know where you want to serve, we've got plenty of places for you to serve. 
We want you to help us. We can do so much more. But the second thing we want is ministry cooperation among churches. We want to work with other churches. We are not the only church. And this is not the only place where you'll go to heaven. Okay? We aren't. And guess what? We can work across denominational lines too. Why? Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We might differ in a few things. But as long as we major on the major things, like who Jesus Christ is and what he's done, we can work together. In fact, right now, there are five churches, and ours is one of them, that are working together to put together a Good Friday service together. Why? Because as our community begins to see our churches working together, and they begin to see us unified for the cause of Christ... Jesus said, they will know that I have sent, or God says, they'll know I've sent my son by being one. This is what our desire is. My desire, and I hope and pray today, is simply this. If you don't know what your gift is, find it. We have spiritual gift tests and passion tests back there at the welcome desk. You can pick one up. We're going to talk about it tonight. If you know what your gift is, but you're not using it, find your place to use it. Get involved. If you don't know who to ask, you can come and ask any one of the staff members. We'll find a place for you. Get involved. Serve. And man, we will make a difference. Don't just be a consumer. Maybe it's time for you to get off the bench and say, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play.